0: Let me that. So it probably tells you everything that you need to know about me to know that whenever I hear about milkmaids, my initial reaction is to go, oh yes, smallpox. <laughs> So, smallpox is kind of the definition of a scourge. It's caused by the variola virus, and smallpox was an infectious, disfiguring, and often deadly disease that had a very distinct set of symptoms. It started with a fever and a rash, which could eventually get to the point where people would be disfigured with um, these pox all over their skin, which are like pustules. And if they spread to a person's face, they very often caused the person to go blind. So even still, centuries of, of abiding by this virus in human history, the exact origin of it is not known. And for centuries, that was the reason why it was so terrifying to people. But there was kind of an odd thing that people began to notice about it in the 1700s. Basically that of all people who could potentially be vulnerable to smallpox it seemed like milkmaids were not dying in droves from it nor were they even necessarily contracting it. So Edward Jenner an English surgeon had grown up observing this kind of strange phenomenon and he reasoned that perhaps there was a reason that the milkmaids were not getting smallpox. Maybe there was something that they were getting that was kind of similar and it was somehow providing them with immunity. Because of course the one thing that milkmaids were getting exposed to was cow skin, and occasionally horse skin, and there are several diseases that are surprisingly similar to smallpox, cowpox, and horsepox, so maybe the fact that the milkmaids were getting cowpox was protecting them somehow from getting smallpox, and if it could protect them, then maybe it could protect everybody else. So Jenner set out to test this hypothesis by injecting pus from either a cowpox or a horsepox. And this is something that probably deserves its own episode, because just this year, there was this incredible like review of literature and, and study in the New England Journal of Medicine about how we always thought that what he used was from cowpox, but they've actually tested the sample and it was probably more from horsepox. So even then though, like what eventually got into the vaccine is like an amalgam of all these different things. None of them are actually the specific virus that caused smallpox in humans. So anyway, that's a whole separate story. But basically what we know that Jenner did was he took one of these poxes and he injected the pus from it into somebody to test whether it would help them build immunity. So he chose the eight-year-old son of his gardener because I guess that was a thing that he thought was okay to do. Uh, So he waited like six weeks after, hoping that in that time, the boy's body would develop immunity, after which time he gave him smallpox, because that was apparently a reasonable thing to do in the name of science. So as it turned out, it kind of was okay, because guess what? The child did not get smallpox. The cow or horsepox inoculation that he had been given had actually worked. And that was from whence we developed the vaccine. And the vaccine against smallpox uh, immediately began to control the spread of it and it was a virulent disease. So this was not an insignificant feat. And over the course of the next almost 200 years or so, uh, not only was the spread controlled and the last outbreak of smallpox that naturally occurred in the United States was like in the 1940s, the disease was actually completely eradicated in 1977. And really, of course, who we have to thank for this sort of even prior to Jenner would be the milkmaids and of note if you've ever heard the expression like smooth as a milkmaid's skin or smooth as a milkmaid's hand that comes directly from this time period uh, wherein people started to realize that in their small villages the only people who didn't have scarred pockmarked skin from smallpox seemed to be the young women who were employed as milkmaids. Hey friends, it's me, your host, Abby. Thanks for tuning in today. Here are a couple of things before you go. If you're into the weird shit that we do here, consider becoming a listener supporter. You can set up a recurring monthly donation of 99 cents, 4.99, or 9.99. Go to anchor.fm letmegooglethat to find out more. You can also show your support in non-monetary ways by following the show on Instagram at letmegooglethat and on Twitter at letmeglglthat. I mean, somebody took the let me. Google that handle. But anyway, visit anchor.fm slash let me Google that to stream online or find the show basically anywhere podcasts live. So Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Podbean, Radio Public, Breaker, CastBox, TuneIn, and Spotify. Don't forget to favorite and subscribe to let me Google that so that you never miss a new episode. If you'd like to guest host an episode, be sure to check out the links on social to the Google form for pitching your idea. It's a great way to get started with podcasting since you have a built-in audience of enthusiastic weirdos to cheer you on. I'll even help you get the episode put together every step of the way, recording, editing, and getting the word out on social. Now if you aren't quite ready to host a full episode on your own, try using the Anchor app to send in an audio message, which is a very cool way of telling me something. You can share a fun fact, suggest something for my next late night weird Googling session, or just say hello. You can also record a you're listening to bumper for the show if you want, which I love when you do. Speak Speaking of, the outro for Let Me Google That was recorded by main musician Alex Wilder, who has an EP that you can buy right now. Visit pushfarther.com to learn more. If you want to know more about me, here's the short version. (laughs) I'm a researcher and science writer, and I just published my first book back in March, Ask Me About My Uterus, A Quest to Make Doctors Believe in Women's Pain. It's available as a real book, which you can buy in bookstores or online or get at your local library, and it's also available as an ebook, even an audiobook which is sadly narrated by me and not Emma Thompson. It's also going to be released as a paperback in March of 2019, which you can pre-order right now. So for more on that and me, head over to www.abbynormanwriter.com and also follow me on social at Abby M. Norman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I post fun extras about this show, updates on books, glimpses of life on the Midcoast coast Maine, lots of pictures of my very cute dog, X-Files memes, science art, weird selfies, and a distressing number of posts lamenting the fact that I did not grow up to be an Bancroft. This podcast is made possible by Anchor, with generous support from listeners like you and those weird gummy vitamins I ate this morning.